0: That is a little bit of what we do in Kenya. Uh, I'm going to share my part of the ministry, and then Michelle will share, as I said earlier. And if we have time, I'll bring a short word to you. If not, that's okay. We just want to show you today uh, what we do and explain to you what we do. I We have cows, as you saw. Uh, we have, I think, 18 now. Uh, it's a demonstration farm. Farmers can come in and see how we do things. Not that we do it perfectly, but we try. We've combined knowledge from the U.S. and knowledge from Kenya, and we combine that and teach what we what, what we've learned and how to do things and how to do things better. There are about farmers in dairy farmers in Kenya are about 75 years behind the U.S. Uh, most farmers have one or two cows. There are some big farms, but uh, mostly just one or two cows, and they don't—they just don't have the knowledge to get the milk out of the cows that the cows are capable of. For instance, they might a big cow, big cow that you would see here in the U.S. will drink about twenty-five or 20, thirty gallons of water a day. They'll give their cows a little bit in the morning and a little bit at night. And that's all they get. So there, we teach them things like that. We teach them how to do better at uh, feeding them, uh, such as we have a forage called napier grass. Here we would feed them corn. Uh, but there it's napier grass, and we could teach them how to make silage out of that napier grass by mixing molasses, which is plentiful, a byproduct of sugarcane and, uh, molasses and water. We mix it. We seal it in an airtight container. And then they have 45 days, 45 days later, they have silage that will keep up to two years. So during the dry season, they'll have feed for the cows. Uh, as you saw, we had a moving day last June. Uh, that was a chore. Just think everything takes. So much longer, and it's harder in Kenya. Um, The reason for that moving day was uh, where we were at that time, we had found out, Michelle sensed problems there with that property where we were early on. Um, About three weeks before we moved, we found out that the brother-in-law to the owner of the house was a well-known witch in that area. And the cows weren't doing well, and we 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 believe that uh, in that on that farm they that's why because of uh, demons. Um, it, the stretch of road between our in front of our house about a mile and a half, probably every week there was a an accident that killed someone. So demons are present. Don't ever think they're not. Uh, but we moved. And things are much better where we are. We go out into communities and have seminars, teaching the the knowledge that we have to give. We teach them um, artificial insemination, which is it's there, but they don't see the benefits of it. You want to improve the next generation. Also, just before we left, we talked with a representative, got information on John Deere does grants. In Kenya, John Deere is very, it's a big concern in Kenya. We talked with a representative, and there's a good possibility that they'll grant us a tractor when we go back. We've got to get, so we're, pray about that. Uh, and it not just a little tractor, 75-horsepower tractor. So that would be immense. Um, you know, that that's. My part of it, in short. But what we're going to do, what we're beginning when we go back, we want to branch out into a rescue home for girls. And Michelle's going to come now and uh, share that part of it and a lot more with what we've been doing.
1: Good morning, everybody. So, as Dennis said, we have cows. I love the cows, but you know. Not at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> um, it's not my joy. But I love to see what what it does in our community. I love to see what, um, that the people see us as hardworking because a lot of Westerners that come into Kenya are more in the management positions They, in years past. Mm-hmm. And we, we might be a managing position, but we are up every morning. We're milking the cows. We're... Up until uh, probably a year ago, we even took the milk into town and sold it every day. But now we have a guy that comes in and, and does that for us. Um, my passion more is the kids. When we came to Kenya, there's kids all over the place. And um, just to get to know them more, to have them not be afraid of us, because um, at first they would cry and scream and because we look so different. Um, so I started years ago doing vacation Bible schools and um, going into schools and orphanages and such. And as that progressed over time, I started getting involved in like um, a detention home for kids who have been in trouble. Um, at that point, there were about 100, 125 boys that were finishing up a sentence. Um, they had been convicted of... Um, um, a wide variety of things. Some of them were, were, were on for murder or rape or aggravated assault. Some of them were just for, um, not just, but for stealing or something like that. Um, and I loved that place. But over time, God just kind of moved my heart out of that place. Um, but I was still there. I wasn't the right timing to leave yet. I got involved shortly after that in a... Um, kids' prison, and you saw some of the pictures back there the kids in the um, like a peach colored shirt I'm not supposed to take pictures of them, but um, don 't tell anybody okay <laughs> um, these kids same thing, but they 're waiting for trial. A lot of these kids are, so in this remand prison, you have kids that are um, you have three different dorms over here you might have uh, a, um, a girl's dorm, and I'll get back to that one in a minute. You have a, a small boys' dorm that are maybe kids from like five year olds up to maybe twelve, and a lot of these kids are there because they've been um, abuse or neglect. Um, they might have run away from home and not found their way back. Um, a family member might have died, and pushed them. Everybody else pushed them on the streets. Um, nobody was to take care. Nobody was there to take care of them. Some of them are there because they've done things. Usually it's petty crimes. It's theft. But they're hungry. And they have to eat. So you do what you got to do. Then you have another group of kids that are the senior boys. And those are maybe kids that are boys that are maybe 12 to 18. Most of these boys are there because they belong there. They've done different things. And um, some of the same crimes that our youths do here, they do there. Um, um, this is where I met that boy, Bonfis. Bonfis was waiting six years for trial. He was never convicted for those six years, waiting for trial. When I started going into this home, Bonfis came to me that first week and said, I need more than what you can give the rest of the group. And I said, okay, if you're committed, I'll, I'll come early, and we can disciple, I can disciple you for... You know, an hour and a half or two hours a week. He says, okay, but I need homework every week.
0: Mm,
1: okay, okay. In fact, before I could come here this term, he wanted me, even though he's in Bible school, he wanted me to give him homework. Enough for three months. Um, yeah. So he's hungry. I mean, I can't keep up with this kid. He's so hungry. Well, Bonfist was waiting for trial for murder, Um, His mom was sitting in the prison next door to her, next door to him. And that prison has about 1,800 men and about 325 women. So occasionally when I would visit him, I would record him even though I wasn't supposed to. And I would take that recording to his mom. Because from a mom's heart, I'd want to know my kid was okay, you know, because they're not going to tell you. And the joy on her face was just unexplainable. She was just so thankful. We didn't speak the same language, um, but we didn't always need to. I usually brought a translator with me, but um, it was just beautiful. Through my time with Bonfus, um, it really became clear to me that there was no plan to help him once he got out. If he got out, we were praying that he would get out. So we just started believing in faith that he was going to be out and making a plan. And, you know, when we, walk, when we are in our faith, we have to walk it out. So you have to make a plan ahead of time sometimes to, to make it to really start happening, to grow your faith. Mm-hmm. When Bonfus was um, released in um, August, he um, had nothing but the shirt on his back, the borrowed clothes he had on because the clothes he came in with six years before didn't fit him anymore. He had nothing, and um, praise God, we had seen this kind of ahead of time. Um, God really revealed a lot to me concerning him, and I'm not saying I have it all figured out, but really, he was really working in my heart. Um, A lot of people would say to us, why do you work with those kids? They're too far gone. Just forget about him. And I thought, you know what? If God said that about us, where would we be, you know? And so I just, and that's what I felt God was leading me to do. Um, when Bonfus got out, he wanted to spend a few days with his pastor. And, um, and then I was going to take him to a Bible school. I had already worked it out with somebody to be able to have him enroll in class. Um... He spent a few days with his pastor, and his pastor said, "Bonfus, I've got a church ready for you. All we got to do is find a wife for you really quick, and you can go be a pastor. And it's not a prerequisite, but you know, when you have a couple, it's a better ministry than single." Um, he said, "No, I have to go to Bible school. I, I don't. I, I'm not ready." He said, "You're spiritual enough. Come on to Bible school." I mean, come on to be the pastor. And he walked away from this pastor, this mentor, this person who really has guided him. And he really believed that I would follow through because I had always everything in those two years I had promised to do I followed through with. So I called Bonfus one night. We had been in contact for that week that he was home and he would visited his grandfather he hadn't seen in years. And, and I called him on a Sunday night and I said, Bonfus, where are you at, honey? And he said, I'm at home. I said, we talked about this. You can't be home. Home was not a safe place for him because the people that put him in there destroyed the home that he was in, and they were coming after him. Um, in fact, the day that he left, they were calling him when I, was on the, when I was taking him to the new place, trying to entice him, trip him up. Um, the next day... We met in another town, and then we traveled a couple hours to his new Bible school. Um, And I'm not going to say it's not been an adjustment for him. You know, he was used to, you don't need to think, you just need to do. Don't question, just do what you're told. To having to figure out, huh, they're not making dinner tonight, I'm going to have to figure it out. Sounds like silly stuff, but you know, like when we've all finished high school, we all kind of move out on our own, and then we realize that there's nobody to make dinner for us. <laughs> That's kind of what was with him, and he was living with strangers. <laughs> um, it's been an adjustment, but we had to supply the clothes for this kid. And he doesn't have the volume of clothes that you or I have, but um, he, when I dropped him off at Bible school, I stayed a couple nights with him. And he, I, I brought clothes with me from either from my son, who's um, Joel, who's had extra clothes, or from I went to the markets and found clothes for him. We stopped at a little little store, and I said, "Bonfus, I'm just going to be your mom here. Do you have any underwear?" <laughs> and he looks at me, and I said, "Just go pick some out." Um, he didn't have anything. He didn't have a toothbrush. Didn't have, he had a pair of brown shoes, but he didn't have anything else. And over the course of the next month or two, we kind of started equipping him more. He had got a new pair of dress slacks and a new shirt, and he thought he was just <laughs> all there. you know. Um, so Bonfus is doing very well in, bon- in this Bible school. He's graduated from one course. He's in the middle of another course. He's going to graduate in May. Now, because of his um, commitment to the Lord, because of his obedience to realizing that he didn't have it all together, didn't know everything, God has blessed him. This Bible school here, near there is a a church that uh, the pastor was really involved in a lot of ritualistic kind of things. And the church was really, as a whole, was really realizing that they didn't want that anymore. So they fired their pastor. And they hired Bonfus. Wow. So Bonfus comes every Sunday and he speaks in this church. And then he, come, and then he stays at the Bible college the rest of the week. <clears throat> so God brought it all the way around for him. Um, back to this prison, I, there's a group of girls there. And these girls, some of them are really little. Some of them are five or six years old. But most of them are maybe 12-ish to 18 and there's ranges anywhere from seven or eight girls up to maybe twenty-five. Each week it's a little different. When I started looking at these girls, you know, they come in, they're given a dress to wear, and the back doesn't button up anymore. Um, whether it's the buttons are gone or the dress is too small, their back doesn't the back is exposed. And just from a healthy girl aspect, we wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want to go to school every day with your back. Unless it was one of those cool outfits. You know, but this is not a cool outfit. Um, I started really investigating these girls and um, finding out why, why were they there. Some of them are there because they belong to be, they belong there. They've done crimes. They need to be held accountable. A lot of them are there, though, because they've been raped or abused, um, neglected, um, physically abused. Um, so what they do is they take these girls. Let's say this girl is raped. They take and she, cry, and she says, this has happened to me. She's taken out of the home, similar to what we would do with our foster care here. Um, there are no foster care homes in Kenya. When she's taken out, she's brought to the police station, the police take her to the doctor. They put her on a 30-day regimen of antivirals in case she's been exposed to HIV. And then she's placed in this kid's prison, in this prison where other kids have raped and murdered and stole. And she's treated like a common criminal. Um, Nothing is done for these girls to get them back on their feet. Most of the time, the men that do these things to these girls never face any time in prison. They either buy their freedom or they run away. And so the time that she spends waiting for trial really is a waste of time because it's, nobody's ever held accountable. When the trial is done, she's given some money and say, go home. Nobody makes sure that the home is safe that she's going to. Nobody makes sure that she gets there that she is wanted there. Because oftentimes, the family that she was living with, her family, (coughs) doesn't want her anymore because she's the one who got raped. It was her fault, after all. And (coughs) so she is pushed from a home, ends up on the streets, You got to put food on the table, and so she does things that she doesn't want to do because it's a cycle of abuse. And oftentimes, She's um, promised a better life, and it isn't a better life. And she's involved in sex trafficking, and she doesn't even know it. She doesn't understand the value that God wants, that has on her life. She's never been taught that. So, May, oh, thanks. May, God started working in my heart, really started revealing. All these things that I've been learning over the years and I started pulling them in. And do you, Have you ever had a time where God started revealing to you some, what he had for you, what things that he, and you're like, I can't. Wait a minute. <clears throat> I'm just a little girl from Kent City, Michigan. I can't do that. I don't, I've never been raped. I've never been A, B, C, D. I can't do that. I don't know how. And we can rationalize away, and oftentimes that happens in our Christian life. A lot of people, they say, well, I can't do that. I don't know how, and they walk away from him. Well, there was no walking away. When I found this really started, when God really started revealing it to me, um, I just, oh, I, I couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even talk to my husband about it. Because I felt like if I said it, that meant it was happening. Yeah. And I wasn't ready to have it happen yet, you know. <clears throat> well, then I thought, well, and God tricked me again because I thought, if I talk to my husband, you know, he says no sometimes. So he'll just say no, and then I'll be good, you know. I'll, I'm a submissive wife and, you know, all that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I talked to Dennis, and he said, well, if you feel like this is what God wants of you, then I think you need to do it. <laughs> well, there's that submissive wife again, you know. Um, so I started walking out. What, if I'm going to do this, I've got to be educated. I'm not committing to it yet, but I'm going to be, you know. My first stop was to the district children's officer. He is the one who is in charge of where every kid, vulnerable child goes in our county. There's 60 orphanages in Cockamaga County. Cockamaga County is, I would guess, around the size of Kent County. So it's a, it's a big co- county, but 60 orphanages. Um, so I went and visited this man, this, and um, I said, this is what I'd like to do. And he said, oh, I think that's a great idea. We've been wanting to do that for years. But the problem is, is money is allot- allotted from the government. And it trickles down and it just kind of vanishes on the way down into people's pockets. And so the kids that really need it the most are never helped. He said, "You know, that's really a good idea, but you know you're not going to spend that much time with girls. Girls are a second-class citizen there. So why don't you put an orphanage up next to where you want to do this home? And you can spend your time with them, and anytime you, anything you have left over, you can just spend with these girls. And it sit very well. I didn't say a word, because I knew if I started, I would never be allowed to open a home, you know. So, um, but it really revealed to me that nobody's going to care about these girls. Nobody wants them. Um, so what we're planning on doing is, a long story short, but its we're going to open a girls' rescue home. And when we were thinking about this home, you have to have a name for it. And it's hard to come up with a name for a new ministry, as you guys know. Um, and I, at first, I thought of a name like a you know a person's name kind of thing. And I thought, oh, I don't know, that sounds kind of corny, you know. And and then I was going to go to a name that really um, a descriptive name, you know, like Redemption Home or Restoration Home or something like that. But they just didn't seem to fit. Dennis and I had the privilege of going to a our spiritual retreat, the first time we've ever been able to do something like that. Um, and Dennis and I, in the beginning of this weekend, we were standing together. We were going to be separated into our groups for that week, weekend. And, and I said to Dennis, well, maybe I'm supposed to have a noun name, a person's name for this home. And then he got called to his table, I got called to mine. And about a half an hour later, Dennis said, do you remember that Dahan girl that, um, that we knew from Rez Church? I said, yep. He said, Hannah. Hannah was the same name I came up with in the very beginning. So we, um, and Hannah is a, it's, it's a Bible name, as you know, and this woman, this Hannah in the Bible, she prayed for a child to come, and that's what we're going to be doing is praying for these girls to come. Yeah. Um, so we, before we really announced it, we wanted to meet with the parents because if they weren't for it, we would find another name. And we, so we met with Hannah's parents. Hannah, um, our first term in Kenya, um, she was a 14-year-old girl, and she started having problems with her back. And so they started investigating it, found out that she had a tumor on her back, and it had spread to all of her vital organs. And by the time they found it, the cancer had was in stage 4. And she died a number of months later. So it was a—we felt like we needed to tread lightly um, with Hannah's parents, but they were all for it, and they had been wanting to have a legacy for their daughter, but they didn't know how to do it. And every time they started, I think the pain was just too much. Um, and so it, they had started—they had started a um, nonprofit, but never finished it. So Dennis said, "Well, what would you have named that if it was if you were to start that nonprofit?" And they said, "Hannah's Hope," and that was the name right there. We knew it. So um, when we go back, we're going to start this home. This will be a small home to start because I don't know how to. I don't know how to do this. You know, God gives us one or two children when we are given to us for a reason. We doesn't, he doesn't. Give, he didn't give me five of my children at once because I didn't know what I was doing. <coughs> still don't you know but um, I want to start with a hand, you know four or five girls find out what their needs are find out um, how I can best help them and we're gonna to have to hire uh, a mama that can be you know a, you can do this you know but also put your arm around and cry, I'm sorry this has happened to you. Life is not always fair kind of mom. And that's going to be a hard one to find there because Kenyans don't wear their emotions on their sleeves like we do. Um, I'm going to have to hire 24-hour security because the reality is, is somebody's going to come after these girls at some point. And I want to make sure that they're as safe as possible. And not going to hurt my girls, you know. So it has to be the right men also. I need to hire a counselor and a social worker because I can't counsel them how they need to be counseled. And I can. I've been there eight years, but I'll never. I'll I'll always be different. And if they're going to open up to somebody else better, well then that's much better. Um, When a girl comes into this home. She's going to come in with the clothes on her back. Maybe or maybe not shoes. And she's going to come into this room. That will be her room. She'll be sharing with other girls. And on her bed will be a brand new Bible. Kenyan homes do not have 30 Bibles in their home like we do. Um, This Bible will go home with her eventually. And the goal of this home is is to eventually move her through and out. It's a transition home. She's going to be receiving counseling. She's going to find out who she is in Christ. She's going to find out how God created her, what he wants for her life, that she is an important person. She's not just a, an object for dowry. She's, she's wanted. She was planned on purpose. And while she, we're counseling her individually, we're counseling her as a group with the other girls because, you know, we all need to know that other people go through the same things we do and they have lived through it and will live through it. She's going to have to learn a new trade and it might be, you know, maybe jewelry making or, or soap making or maybe um, chickens or cows or cooking. or I mean, there's a wide variety of things that they can learn from and we want to have this all on site. While we're restructuring, rebuilding her life, we'll also be going to the home that she grew up in and find out what went wrong. Um, what kind of home is it? Is the person who abused her still in the home? Um, if she were to go home, is she wanted? Kind of, and we'll need, to re, um, we'll need to counsel that family to change their customs, which is huge, to want that daughter back. Is she safe there? And if she's not, well, then we need to find another place that maybe a grandmother or um, an auntie or, I don't know, a teacher sometimes. We'll be counseling them also to help them be able to handle, be able to help their daughter. And eventually they'll be going back and forth. She might go for a couple hours and that maybe they might come to for a couple of hours, and then she might go for overnight and over for a weekend, and each time coming back home, counseled. Eventually, the goal is to have her go home because it's really better that she is home or someplace safe um, where she can start really restructuring her life. But given the tools there, have her mom maybe have gone through some classes on how to help her daughter. In that home... Around that home, we will also have a safety group, maybe a pastor, um, teachers, an auntie, a neighbor, and each home will be different. Where if something goes wrong while she's there, she can run to that home. Even if she's having a bad day, because we all have a bad day, she can go to that person and say, you won't believe what my mom did. You know, and that, those people will also be counseled to be able to help this girl. Or if she's been hurt again, to call us and we can get her back. We'll be in and out of that home for a year, approximately. Each girl will be different. And even after that year, she will still be kind of ours. Um, and maybe someday she'll have gotten a skill, you know, from what she's done with us, she'll have a skill, maybe someday she could... Actually house some of these girls also potentially, um, again, this is a project that is was never on my radar. Um, i never never crossed my mind. I've known about this abuse, but it didn't hit me in the face until recently and there's a lot of things that are on our radar in Kenya, but you know you can't you're not called to do. Everything. Kenya is a sea of needs, as long, like, uh, just like a lot of other countries. There's a sea of needs, and you can get lost in those needs while and you think, "Well, that, that's, that's going to be easy. I can do that one." But you have 20 of those easy ones, and you're already off track in what God wants you to do. And Dennis and I have tried to be very purposeful in staying on track. That doesn't mean that we don't help people along the way off track, but that means for the most part, this is the goal that God wants for us and staying on it, which is really hard to do. You really have to have a vision. Well, to open this home um, is going to take money. And so Dennis in a few months ago said, well, do you think you need to go home and raise money for this? Well, being over there majority of our time, it's hard to raise money on the end unless you are here. Because reality is, when you're not here, people don't remember you as much. There's nothing personal there. It's just, it is what it is. So we decided to both, to all three, go home and um, um, start raising money for this home. And I asked a, we have another family that has an orphanage in our area. And I said, I I don't know how much this is going to cost. What can I kind of guesstimate? when I'm fundraising. And he said $2,500 a month for a group of maybe five girls to live in a home. So what I want to do is rent maybe a three-bedroom home with a larger compound where we can maybe put a greenhouse or um, chicken coops or cows or goats or whatever we need in that home. Ideally, it would be best if we bought because the landlords, when they see you're doing things, when you're white, everything changes. And we've lived that, we've moved eight times and since we moved to Kenya eight years ago. Many times for those purposes. Not every time, but many times. So what I did is I, <clears throat> I have two charts here. Instead of sponsoring a girl, girls are going to come and they're going to go. I want to have people sponsor a bed, knowing that that, uh, that bed will be filled with a girl that needs... Jesus that needs her life transformed and each bed we're figuring at five hundred dollars a month this is just easy figuring and so some people might not very many people are going to be able to afford five hundred dollars a month Um, but if 10 people did 50 or five people did 100 or 25 or 30 or whatever. I've got a few more of these filled in that I didn't from yesterday that I didn't put in here. And as we, fill, as we figure one out, then we go to the next and then go to the next. Um, families might say, you know, I have a large family and we all are into missions, we all are into helping people, and our family is going to pay for one family, one, one bed a month. Or a church might say, Well, we can 't you know we, we don 't know what we 're doing, but we can help with with between all of us one bed a month once this is all filled, we can open our home, um, but it again, it takes it 's never in my timing. I want it now, 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 you know um, in this home, how do you open this? How do you There we go, okay. I like that. If you were to figure out your home, if you close your eyes and you think about what you would need, if your home burned down today and you were able to move into another home, you have to fill that home. You have to fill it with uh, furniture, a bed for you to sleep in, uh, maybe a dresser, um, a table, a couch, chairs. You had to have a, a towel to dry off when you... Take a shower, you need to have a sheets on your bed, all these things, maybe curtains on the wall on the windows to make sure that people don't look in and just looks more cosmetically beautiful. So what I did is I divided it into these four different areas. I figure three bedrooms, I need three bunk beds, and one one double bed for a mom because she needs her own space. Um, this is just this is not everything, but this is a majority of what we need and we had spoken at a church in Missouri um, a couple weeks ago, and a lady came up to me afterwards, and she says, "I want to buy a bunk bed." So she bought it. It was two hundred and twenty-five dollars. She bought a bunk bed, and that's it, and mattresses. Some people come and they say, I, "I'd like to put curtains on the windows." Curtains on the windows are not; they're they're a function. They're not just for beauty. There. People, they at night they close their curtains so that nobody can see in at night. So it's a safety feature, also. Um, And it looks more homey, also. But um, living room, table, living room, and dining room. We need we need couches for these girls to sit on. That's home. Now they're not going to be, you know, lazy boys like we have here. They'll be much simpler, but they'll be something that is home, something that they can feel safe in. Kitchen. you know we our kitchens are full of double than what we need but this is this is just enough to get them started um, and we have to have an office that's whoops that's a requirement from the government that we have to have an office with a computer which we'd want anyway you know computer and desk and chairs and some of the counseling would be done there the initial um placement when she comes in would be done in this office so this is our end-of-year needs. If people are wanting to give at the end of the year, this is what some of this can go for. And anything that is put towards this, you can pick what you would like to give it towards. And it's, it would be earmarked, like that bed is earmarked with that money. Um, some people want to give a certain amount before the end of the year, and this would be something that would be great. Otherwise, some people don't care about the end of the year giving. They want to do something on a monthly basis. And every dollar that would go into, come in would go towards these girls. Um, I've said a lot in a few minutes, but does anybody have any questions?